Well, good evening and welcome to the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. And boy, have we have a story for you this evening. As you know, Steve Nash was recently named as the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. And we're just going to go ahead and get on into this story because the headline says Steve Nash says playing career is why he got to skip the line to become Brooklyn Nets coach. New Brooklyn Nets coach Steve Nash said criticism that he skipped the line and got the opportunity to coach a presumed NBA championship contender was fair. But that his 18-season Hall of Fame career as a point guard positioned him to have success as a first-time head coach. Quote, what I did skipped the line, frankly, Nash said during his virtual introductory news conference from the team's practice facility Wednesday afternoon. But at the same time, I think leading an NBA team for almost two decades is pretty unique. So while I haven't necessarily learned some of the skills that I'll definitely seek to understand and learn as far as the technical aspects of coaching. I was never far from that. So to lead a team in such a unique position, to be the head coach, to be the head of the team on the floor, to think on the fly, to manage personalities and people, skill sets, and bring people together, collaborating with a coach and a coaching staff for almost two decades. It's not like I was in a vacuum. I learned a tremendous amount during my career. There have been several other former players who landed head coaching opportunities without experience, including Stephen Kerr, Doc Rivers, and Isaiah Thomas. That group also includes Jason Kidd, Nash's former teammate and fellow Hall of Fame point guard, who seven years ago also got the chance to coach a Nets team featuring star players and sky-high expectations. I haven't grinded it out as an assistant coach like many people's past, but there's a precedent for players who have strong careers, who are leaders, anchors, Nash said. I think to get this opportunity, as Steve Kerr and many other people have had great success, it's a unique situation, I think. But I definitely realized that I need support. I'm going to hopefully bring a lot of qualities and skills to the table that are unique and strong, but I'm going to need support and a collaborative staff that has a lot of experience and is willing to build this with me. Nash's hire has been met with criticism both because of his lack of coaching experience and because this summer has seen multiple black coaches fired from jobs leading the current number of minority head coaches in the NBA at five. Nash, who has a picture of George Floyd as his Twitter profile picture, was asked about the idea that white privilege played a role in him getting this opportunity. And while he said he thought his playing career was the reason he was hired, Nash said, white privilege is real. I have benefited from 
quite privileged in that aspect. Our society has a lot of ground to make up. I'm not saying this position was a factor as far as white privilege. I think as white people, we have to understand we have a certain privilege and a benefit by the color of our skin in our communities. We have a long ways to go to find equality and social and racial justice. I hope that I'm a great ally in that cause. I'm very sensitive to the cause and the goal. I'm not sure that this is an example that truly fits that conversation, but I own it. And I understand why it's talked about. We do need more diversity and more opportunities for African American coaches on staff in all capacities. The league was built through African American players and stars that have made this one of the greatest entertainment industries in business and sports in the world. It's really important that we continue to come together and fight at the league level. It's interesting being such a supporter and ally of that need for equality to be put in the middle of it, in a sense, because it's something that's near and dear to my heart. But I accept it. I want to be part of the conversation, and frankly, I want to be a part of change moving forward. Since his playing career ended, Nash has been a person of intrigue for a number of different jobs outside of a consulting role with the Golden State Warriors and serving as general manager of the Canadian national team. He had previously shied away from going after any of them. That wasn't the case with this job, however. Nash said he called up Nets general manager Steve Sean Marks earlier this summer and asked if it wasn't too late for him to be considered for the job. From there, things quickly progressed. I reached out to Sean at some point in the summer, Nash said. I can't remember exactly when that was, and I asked if this was the right time for me to throw my name in the hat and be considered for the position. That's what got the ball rolling. He also said the high-profile nature of the job in the biggest city in the country with high-profile star players didn't factor into his pursuit. No, part of me considered the profile of the job in taking the job, Nash said. It was being back there in the office with my coaching staff, being out here on the floor with the players, trying to build, like I said, a family in an environment that these guys love to come to work every day, continually growing and pushing to get bigger. We're all pushing each other and supporting each other. I only considered the job from a basketball perspective. I really approached it from where am I in this journey of learning and growing and asking questions and collecting information. This opportunity is so unique coupled with that journey I was on that it just felt like this was the right time, a moment in time, and I'm so grateful it came together. Mark said Nash's playing career is more than enough of a body of work for him to be entrusted with a team that has championship aspirations. Kevin Durant will be returning from a torn Achilles tendon to pair with Kyrie Irving, who is coming off shoulder surgery. I think Steve is a little different, Mark said when asked about Nash.
Nash being the first-time head coach. Look at the career path that he's had. I was also very fortunate to be on one of the teams with him. So I got an up-close and personal relationship with Steve, and it goes back to watching how he conducted himself, the leader that he was both on and off the court. I think that's very important. He was certainly a culture driver in those son's days when I was there. There's nobody that I've been around that has wanted to be pressure tested on the spot quite like Steve. He's never shied away from a moment. So when you say first time head coach, we've seen that been done before. This guy has never run from anything. He wants the ball in his hands at the end of, end of games, and his career spoke for itself. He's made the right decision more times than not, and the experience he'll bring here speaks volumes. One main selling, one of the main selling points of Nash's candidacy beyond his playing career is his relationship with Durant. The two of them worked together in Golden State during Durant's three seasons there, and Nash has repeatedly said, including Wednesday, that Irving is one of his favorite players to watch in the NBA. Nash said he hadn't spoken to Durant before reaching out to Marks about the job. Nash played alongside stars like Dirk Nowinski, Kobe Bryant, Dwight Howard, Amari Stoudemire, and Shaquille O'Neal during his career. He said he hopes his relationship with players like Durant and Irving mirror what he had with other players. I don't even think about it as star personalities in the sense of those guys were my friends instead of past teammates. Those were my teammates and friends. So I feel that it's not about their status, it's about human beings. Getting to know and understand people is always something that I enjoy. You need your teammates on the floor, but off the floor, I just need them as friends. I want to come to work every day and understand my teammates. I want to like them. I wanted to build a fabric between us that made it enjoyable. That we could have a laugh and a joke, but also be honest and push each other and give each other a hard time and make the season shorter. So that's kind of the start and the finish for me. I understand that there's levels in this game that some people are higher profile, higher importance, but a team is a team and a person is a person. So to understand people genuine, understand people genuinely care and want to know them, that's it for me. So there you have it. The hiring of Steve Nash and his thoughts on taking a position, even in the midst of social unrest. You can see that Steve Nash, just like his plan days, didn't want to back down from questions asked of him in regards to how does he think he got this position. Yes, he is facing the criticism, not running from it, and openly admits, yes, there was a little bit of white privilege that played a hand in this, coming from Steve Nash. So... When I come back, I will have some more 
probably dive into some baseball scores because of a very intriguing game on tonight. One in which there are some football teams that probably won't score that many points in two games combined, as two particular teams did tonight. I will tell you about that when I do scores recap. Stay tuned. This is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is Anthony Smith. Welcome back. And we do have some scores for Wednesday, September the 9th. Uh, right now, in the top of the ninth, with two outs, Texas Rangers are leading the Angels 7-3. At the end of the eighth inning, we have the Astros and the Athletics tied up to a piece. Top of the seventh inning with two outs. We have the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks tied up at four apiece. In the bottom of the sixth inning with no outs, the Giants are up on the Mariners by a touchdown, 7-0. A game that went final. Milwaukee Brewers, or the Brew Crew as some call them, blank the Detroit Lions, pardon me, the Detroit Tigers, may as well be the Lions because of the lack of football score that the Lions will be involved in, 19-0. The Kansas City Royals blank the Cleveland Indians, 3-0. New York Yankees beat the Toronto Blue Jays. Or since they're not playing at home now, want to come the Buffalo Blue Jays. Beat them by a score of 7-2. Chicago White Sox beat the Pittsburgh Pirates by a touchdown, 8-1. And the intriguing Game of the night. 38 points scored in this game tonight. Some football scores aren't even a combined 38 points. The Atlanta Braves tomahawked the Miami Marlins 29-9. to Twenty-nine to nine. What a game! Nottingham lifts that one deep to left, and Bonifacio will give it a look. He has no play. It's gone. Jacob Nottingham powers up for two, and Milwaukee's up six hit. World Series title. It would be the first in Milwaukee Brewers franchise history. That one is shipped to left, and it's going to fall in fair ground. That's going to be a lot of trouble. We see Yelich coming in, and it'll clear the bases. Cubs bullpen has struggled a little bit more than the Brewers. I'd love to see this guy swinging like that. Ryan Braun goes long. Braun for two. It's 15 nothing. 
Yeah, the nice rocket fire and Jerko launches. Oh, there's a goodbye. A rocket. Shake, rattle, and roll right there. A little two homer day for wow. Jet Jerko. Next pitch, boom. He got like it might be a potentially easy one, two, three oh, ending and a look out. Tyrone Taylor. Goodbye. We love our new down. Another changeup. Got it down. A changeup down. So Royals strike first here in the sixth inning after their sixth making their fifth straight hit off Carrasco dance yeah. back the last inning. Sure is. Formity. Speeds up his bat, and he was just trying to put it in play. So Kansas City draws first blood, but it's in the... So if you can locate your fastball to different quadrants...
was a team in college baseball that used to score points like that on regularity. They were coached by a guy named, well, let me tell you where he's from. A guy from, I believe, Guthrie, Oklahoma. Uh, his first name was Gene. Not to be confused with the other Gene that was coaching the basketball team at the time. But this guy was Gene Stevenson. And he had players like his son, Clarence, Bill. He also had a guy that I believe he's in the Baseball Hall of Fame who played on a World Series team in Toronto by the name of Joe Carter. Yeah, those teams back in the day before they got the nice stadiums that they have now scored runs in bunches like that. I'll say to this day, I believe Wichita State was one of those teams that changed the landscape of college baseball and made teams recruit not just hitters but went after good pitchers because as I always said, good pitching beats good hitting every time. It's kind of like the old adage. Defense wins championships. Pitching wins games. But that was that. So you heard highlights from Brewers Tigers because the brew crew, the brew crew brewed the Tigers. 19 to zip, so much so I called them the Detroit Lions. Royals beating the Indians 3 0, and highlights from the Marlins and Braves. Hang out with me for a little bit. It's coming up on the 11 o'clock hour, but hang out with me a little bit longer because when I Come back. I'm going to take you inside the bubble and give you some scores and highlights as well from the bubble. Let me ask you a question. Did the Raptors survive or did they get sent back north? Stay tuned. A Train Sports Talk podcast. When I come back, I'll have an answer for you. This is yours truly, Anthony. Welcome back, and with a minute and ten to go in the fourth quarter, in a low-scoring game, and from what I'm hearing, these teams have been missing shots left and right. The Clippers are holding on, 94 to 83. This is the Western Conference semifinals game four. LA leads that series two to one. So question is, did Toronto survive and force a game seven, or did they get sent packing back north? Well, let's find out. We are about to find out. Where so many of these three-point attempts you're getting foul calls on. Lowry throws it to Van Vliet. 
Corner three is good. Design play. Gasol for three. The Raptors suddenly red hot from downtown. And Brad Stevens wants timeout. Shot clock at seven. Tatum against Ananobi. Pulls back. Lost the handle. Here comes Ananobi. Tatum in pursuit. And out of the goal. He's not blocked the hole. Blocked by Tatum. Ball knocked out of bounds. Oh, what a sensational defensive play. Great job by Tatum, though. Not giving up on a play. This is a wide open transition basket for OG. And hits back and blocks it. But look at Van Vliet. Guarded by Walker. Lowry, long three. Got it. Kyle Lowry from deep. And a lead back up to seven. He's got 21. Siakam drives on Smart. Stripped by Smart. Picked up by Tice. Marcus Smart with the steal. Smart throws it in to Tice. Throws it down, and the game is tied with two minutes remaining. Offensively, throws it over the top to the biggest, stronger Tice. Lowry to inbound. He can still catch and shoot. Siakam for the win. Oh, almost banked it in, and we're going to overtime. Lowry backing, backing. Falling away, gets in the paint, drills it. 29 for Kyle Lowry. Talk about pressure free throws. Jalen Brown, no problem, knocks down both to tie the game. Tatum denying Lowry. Powell against Walker, five seconds to go. Powell pulls up, three-pointer. Won't go, rebound Smart, double overtime. Walker isolated with him. Smart, though, leaning to try and help. You gotta, if you're the Celtics, you got to tell him there's no help sending him to his right. Send him middle and get help. Lowry falling away. Got it. Kyle Lowry drills the jumper, and it's back to a four-point lead. One-on-one. -on -one. Allow me to have this dance, Mr. Walker. Knockdown, fadeaway jumper. Swim. That's a bad Walker. Throws it back up top. Tatum, a three-pointer. Bang! Jason Tatum makes it a one-point game. Six points. Seattle goes to the backcourt. Brad Stevens was upset. It's all over. The Raptors win. And their season is still alive. There will be a Game 7 fittingly in this series. So there you have it. The Toronto Raptors survive to play again. Another day. A Game 7. So, who has the advantage going into this game number seven. Who has the momentum? Mind you, the Raptors were down in this series. The Raptors were written off. But the Raptors is also a team that is playing with a chip on their shoulder as if they have something to prove to which I think that makes them an even more dangerous team. Last year, we knew it was all about the acquisition. One and done. Kawhi Leonard brought Toronto their first major championship. Well, since the Toronto Blue Jays brought them their first NBA championship to that province. But you still kept your blue-collar workers. And if you remember the parade last year when they had the big parade and 
actually before the parades, I think. The question was asked, and Fred Van Vliet answered. They said, he was asked if this was Kawhi's last year, and Fred, being the pro that he is, and the articulate one that he is, he said, hey, right now we want to enjoy this moment. He said, but hey, if he does leave, he says, wish him the best of luck. But if we face him, we just have to whip his ass. Those are Fred's words. And I believe this team is on a mission. And Boston had a chance to put them away. But Toronto is one of those teams, they are no frills, no hype, no glitz, no glamour. Just a hard-working, gritty, hard-nosed, blue-collar type team. Nothing that they do is going to why you would flash this. I mean, think about it. I was listening to the Doug Gottlieb show one day. A lot of times I don't agree with a lot of things Doug say, but when uh, Wichita State was making their run in the Final Four back in 2013, uh, Doug had a chance to sit in on one of the practices and he had talked with the Greg Marshall and Doug had mentioned, he said, you know, I really like the freshmen out there. And the first thing Greg said was, who? Are you talking about Ron Baker? He said, no, I like the Van Vliet guy. And Greg said, you know, he is not the most athletic or not the most talented, but he has major balls, major balls. That was 2013. This is year 2020. You know what? Hasn't nothing changed. Fred has had that same mentality, even going into the league as an undrafted, an unrestricted, undrafted free agent. He's made his mark. So since we're speaking on Fred and the NBA, I had seen an article, and I don't have it before me, but there was talks that New York Knicks had their eyes on a couple of players. Or actually three players. So I'm going to open up Pandora's box, so to speak. This is totally right now unscripted. So what I'm saying is off the cuff. I'm not reading no article or nothing. I'm going off the top. So my comments seem kind of radical or strange. <laughs> it is what it is. But this article had mentioned that the New York Knicks wouldn't mind having Someone like a Fred Van Vliet, possibly a Victor Oladipo, and maybe talk Carmelo Anthony into coming back. Well, let's start with Carmelo Anthony. Right now, he likes it in Portland. He likes his teammates. He likes his role that he's in. He likes the house that he's bought. He's praying right now. He said, I pray to God that I'm back in Portland next year. Something tells me even Carmelo Anthony does not want to go back to the New York Knicks. Knicks fans are still saying, free Charles Oakley, free Charles Oakley. While Spike Lee has said he's done with the Knicks because the door he's been coming in for 30-something years, and you tell him he can't come in that door, basically you've kicked him out. Victor Oladipa, well, I really have nothing to say about him. He has proven that he's a game-worthy player. 
He busted out when he left Oklahoma and went to Indiana. His thing is he has to prove that he can stay healthy now. Which now leads me to Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet has done his due diligence, has put in his time. He is a fixture in Toronto. Why would he want to go to New York? I see Fred as a loyal loyalist. He was loyal to Wichita State. Even when he tested the market to check the NBA, he played all four years. Fred worked his tail off. As Greg Marshall said, he has major balls to get to where he's at with Toronto. I believe he loves it in Toronto. I believe the city of Toronto loves him. He's one of the faces of the franchise. Why would you want to go to New York? To me, if there's any Nick fans that hear this podcast, I apologize not for what I'm about to say. Because the Knicks have taken on the stigma that the Raiders once had. For a while, the Raiders had the stigma that if you want your career to die, you go to the Raiders. Now the way I see it, if you want your career to die, become a New York Knick. Now, I'm going to give you two other players. They didn't make no big splash, nothing like that. I mean, they shined in the G League. But these guys I mentioned, they too came out of Wichita State. Clear Anthony Early. Drafted in the second round out of Wichita State by the New York Knicks. His career basically died until they traded him, but he literally almost lost his life. He got shot, really, and never rebounded from that. Ron Baker made the team, even had a decent contract. Got injured. Lost his shooting touch, got traded. He's in Russia. Anybody that hears this podcast and can get a hold of Fred Van Vliet and want to share this with him, I just want to say this. Fred, if they offer, run. Don't do it. New York is not for you. You're not for New York. I don't know how long your playing career is going to be, but I'm okay with your career ending in Toronto. That's all I have for now. Until next time, stay train sports talk podcast. Take care of yourself and each other. I'll be back with some more another day. Have a blessed evening.